Hi listeners, this is Cody from Unfortunate History. I'm here to give you a quick warning that the following episode contains disturbing details that are not suitable for younger audiences. If you are a younger listener, or if you're someone that doesn't do well with graphic details of murder, death, or other similar material, I invite you to listen to some of our other episodes that don't contain this warning. Otherwise, please continue listening, and as always, stay unfortunate. This is Unfortunate History. What's up, everybody? This is Cody Pennington. And this is Greg Skinner. And welcome to Unfortunate History, the podcast that covers the wacky, interesting, and unfortunate moments in history. And boy, oh boy, is it good to be back. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, eventually, a week (laughs) later, due to technical difficulties, and today I had technical difficulties because I came up and my laptop was drowned. I believe I have a leak in my um, recording room. That's great. This is all Mm -hmm. just fantastic. It's going very, Mm -hmm. very well. Luckily, I had a backup laptop that I had to um, get set up. So it's been a stressful past 15 minutes. I can imagine. Yeah, we (laughs) apologize for uh, missing the deadline last week. Obviously, it's been uh, just a crazy time, but uh, we're going to try our best to make this episode really interesting because we are covering a very interesting topic, actually, because today we are covering what I'm going to refer to as Batavia's Graveyard. What's that, Cody? Well, the Batavia was actually a ship. Um, so it's so not a graveyard. It's, it, uh, we got to get to it. I just, <laughs> it. It goes with the story, I promise you. Batavia's graveyard is a fantastic way to refer to it. But the Batavia was an old ship in the 1500s, or 1600s actually, um, mm-hmm. that experienced an incredibly terrible shipwreck. But the shipwreck itself was not the terrible part. It's what came after the shipwreck. This led to some amazingly terrible things that are actually quite graphic. So please be warned right now. Some of the things we discuss later in this episode towards the end will be quite graphic. So you'd think that the shipwreck part would be the worst bit. No, it's like going bad, going from bad to worse. <laughs> like, okay. It's okay. really bad. I feel, I really feel, feel bad for these people on this ship. Um, just so we can make it clear right now, this is not a pirate episode. I promise you. I know we've been doing a lot of pirates and that. This is not a pirate episode, but there was a listener, listener Fred, I believe it was, um, turned me on to this topic mm-hmm. and he said, give it a shot. It's pretty interesting read. And boy, is it interesting. Boy, is it interesting. Uh, I don't know, but I'm going to take your word for it, Cody. And before we get started, let me give a quick shout out to our source, Batavia's Graveyard by Mike Dash. It's a really good book. It's kind of long-winded, so it's very long. You'd think it wouldn't need to be this long, but it goes into a lot of detail on the backstory of the characters. So if you want to know more about Batavia's Graveyard and in general, really the Dutch history, uh, feel, feel free to pick this one up in the link in this episode description. To start this story, we have to cover some of the pivotal characters first, and I'm actually going to try my best at doing a little bit of creative storytelling here. So, see, tell me if this lands, or email the podcast, tell me if this lands. (laughs) But in particular, we're going to cover the backgrounds of three main characters. Firstly, Captain Francisco Pelsart, Arian Uh Jacobs, Uh or Arian Jacobs. Let's go with Arian because Arian just does not roll off my tongue very well. (laughs) (laughs) It really makes me feel a bit off. And then the final person is Geronimus Cornelis. Those are some strong names. Yeah, they're very, uh, very Dutch. There's a lot of Z's in here. Is that where they're from? They are, yeah. Yeah, they're from Dutch, the Dutch parts of the uh, of Europe. It's very, uh, yeah, I, I, I would not put a Z uh, in Cornelis, but, you know, it is what it is. Or Jacobs, for that matter. But There's they, a Z in Jacobs. There is, yeah. J-A-C-O-B-S-Z. Jacobs. Yeah, Jacobs. I just don't want to, I don't want to drag it out like that. <laughs> but first, let's begin with Captain Francisco Pelsart. Now, Captain Pelsart was born in Antwerp in 1595. When he was around the age of 23, he joined the Dutch East India Company, which we've covered on a lot of our episodes, especially the pirate episodes, if you haven't listened to those yet. Basically, the East India Company was a shipping company. It was essentially the world's very first Amazon. (laughs) Did they do next day delivery? 
they tried. Boy, <laughs> howdy, did they try. It was like their idea of like next day delivery, like we'll get this to you in six months. And everyone's like, oh my God, that's Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? Did you hear about that Dutch East India Company? <laughs> six months. They can get it here before my child dies. <laughs> I hear they hire anyone on the spot. As soon as someone leaves, as soon as someone dies of fucking what's a boat related disease, um, scurvy, just hire someone else. Yeah, or a slave. Just grab them right by the bootstraps. Yoink. Part <laughs> you, of the crew. Look, you, you look back at history, for, like time through history of like old Tommy, like paintings, and it turns out like Jeff Bezos is just an immortal who's been around forever, just <laughs> constantly like basically abusing workers with a workload. <laughs> now, why hasn't he gotten hair plugs? Like, on, honestly, um, when you're worth as much as he is, it, it doesn't matter what you look like. I don't know, man. To a certain extent, he kind of looks like a single testicle. now as part of the east india company captain pelsart was sent to india as a junior merchant until he was promoted to senior merchant seven years later when he was 30 now not much of his early life contributes to the story um really we don't know anything about him in his early life in general but one story does actually contribute and this actually also introduces our second main character Aryan jacobs Mm-hmm. Now, while in India, Pelsart supposedly had a bit of a dust-up with Jacobs. Apparently, Jacobs was a bit disrespectful to Pelsart in front of some other officers, and Pelsart had to dress him down in front of all of his friends, basically embarrassing him a bit in front of uh, people that he knows. But he must have been relatively rude for a ranking officer to have to dress him down, so... I'm pretty sure this would have been pretty common back in those days. It's not like they, the workers had a fucking union to go to back then. <laughs> no, he was obviously very, uh, it's very common. And you have to, uh, at this time, you have to respect your chain of command, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you do today as well, but back in this time, you have to, if you're disrespectful in any way, they can just, just embarrass you, you know, dress him down. Basically, they literally took his clothes off and, and let him sit there naked. <laughs> That's not what it means. <laughs> I know it wasn't. I'm not falling it for this time, but I like the, <laughs> the impression. Like, man, if that was the punishment today at work, like, like me, like, you did that wrong, Greg, go and sit in the corner naked. Okay, <laughs> as I slowly take my clothes off and sulk. <laughs> and everyone laughs and points. Well, after his time in India, Pelsart was then made the captain of the Batavia. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, guess who was also assigned to the Batavia? Arian. Yes, Jacobs. He was also assigned to the Batavia as a skipper. Now, for the purposes of our story, we can consider Pelsart the average run-of-the-mill good guy. He was a fine captain, and he will not obviously be described as the villain of this story. He is our protagonist. Protagonist? Is that the right word? No, he's more of a side character. Oh, is he? There is no real protagonist in this. There are villains. But there's no real protagonist. <laughs> now, our next character and third final main character is Geronimus Cornelis. Now, Cornelis was born in 1598 in Leuwarden, Dutch Republic. But he was supposedly born into a family that was kind of a quote here, non-conforming to social norms in a way. Um, kind of just a family full of contrarians. <laughs> just any reason to complain and really like... Or just just be awkward. Yeah, to go against the grain, just to find issues with anything. That seems to be what their family was like, which kind of probably uh, explains why Cornelis was a bit of a dick. <laughs> Even like things they agree with, they'd find a reason to argue with it. Like. Exactly, the people that just like to argue. So, along with being a non-conforming kind of douchebag, Cornelis <laughs> was also very well educated. So uh, a douchebag that also knows his stuff is just never the kind of person you want to invite to a party. <laughs> no, they're the worst. The single worst person to ever be around your children. Actually, I don't know. Is it worse to be um, stupid and a dick or incredibly intelligent and a dick? Because I, I feel like I could at least respect someone who's a dick who actually knows what they're talking about as opposed to someone who's just adamant in the right but totally wrong but still arrogant as fuck about it. Yeah, I mean, they'd both be kind of assholes. I'd kind of want to put them both to death. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Cornelis, in addition to being well-educated, he was also trained as an apothecary. Now, an apothecary is, for those of you that don't know, kind of uh, an old-timey pharmacist in a way. The guys that in films that you would likely see standing over a pot brewing stuff like a witch or a warlock, something along those lines. Like Gandalf's mate in The Hobbit. Yes, 
Yeah, Gandalf's yeah. mucker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know the one about the guy covered in bird shit who has all the rabbits and stuff? Yes, that guy. <laughs> That's exactly who it is, yeah. Well, as an apothecary, he actually qualified in 1623. And after qualifying, he did open up his own practice in his hometown. But he only had this practice open for about four years until he apparently had issues with the local town council. Uh, doesn't really describe what kind of issues Cornelis had with his local council, but as an apothecary, I'm sure he was scaring the children, maybe uh, blowing up parts of homes, maybe, or something like that. And they're like, you just got to go. <laughs> Animals turning up with extra eyes and shit, or just <laughs> vanishing. Or, yeah. and he's, he's giving potions that are making people shit out the lungs or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Now, Cornelis then moved to Harlem, which is not the... New York Harlem. It's actually the Dutch city Harlem. It's spelled with two A's. And here he opened an actual apothecary shop in the town center as opposed to being in his own home. So he's not quitting. He's not giving up on this. No, he just moved. This is what you can do now in those days. You can just move to another <laughs> location, set up shop, and you're good. Because it, it, like, there's, no, like, there's no communication. Like it, it could have like, moved like five miles down the road and just set up there. And no, no one would have known. No, I mean, this could have been five miles down the road. I don't know. I mean, it took like years to travel that far back then. And you lost a leg in the, in the way. <laughs> and your wife died and you had to get another one. And you know. <laughs> Well, Cornelis was married at this point. And later the same year of opening up his actual apothecary shop, they gave birth to their first child. But the baby passed away at the age of only three months. Rough. Yeah, very rough. Now, the cause of death was ruled to be syphilis. Oh, mega rough. Yeah. Now, Cornelis strongly denied that his wife could have given the baby syphilis. He didn't believe that whatsoever. So instead, he actually claimed that the culprit was the baby's newly hired wet nurse. How? Well, she would obviously have had syphilis and given it to the baby through her breast milk, I suppose. Is that a thing? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how <laughs> syphilis transfers. Do we have any breast milk expert listeners that can tell us if STDs can be passed via it? Uh, if you guys don't mind, don't answer that. I don't mind not reading those emails. <laughs> Send them to me directly, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cornelis decided, since he claimed that the wet nurse was the one at fault, he decided to sue her. And he tried to prove that it was her that killed his child, but... The whole trial that he went through really did the opposite effect that, that he wanted. It really actually just ended up ruining his reputation and completely destroyed all future business possibilities he had in the city at the time. So with no business and no money, Cornelis decided he had to sell his shop and decided to go on to speak to the India Trading Company about a job. And then he was given a posting as a merchant aboard the Batavia. Now, this puts all of our main characters on the Batavia. I don't, obviously, that wasn't a very big reveal, but I tried my best to give a little bit of good, <laughs> good storytelling there. This is how they all wound up in the same place. Now, with all of our main characters in our story aboard the Batavia, we now set sail. Okay. Now, there is something we have to make really clear at this point Cornelis is a desperate man. He's just lost his child, he's lost his business, and he had to flee from the city he was living in just to find work. This obviously makes his current mindset, as I said, very desperate. There's also something we didn't mention was that he also had some kind of connection. Supposedly, it's alleged connection to a painter that held satanic views. And supposedly, this information got out and he was ran out of the town. That's not corroborated very much. I'm not 100% sure on that, but may have been one of the other reasons he had to seek work outside of the town. But either way, just know that he is very desperate. Because he knew someone. Well, it's not just knew someone. Uh, it's more like he associated with them and he held the same beliefs. Oh, fair enough. But as I said, that's that's alleged. Mm -hmm. Now, the Batavia, as it set sail, it was setting sail from Amsterdam. And then it was on its way to the Dutch East India island of Java or Java, whichever one you want to say. I'm going to say Java because I like Java. Now, throughout mm -hmm. this voyage, Cornelis decided... He just really didn't like the aforementioned Captain Pelsart all that much. He disagreed with his leading style. Plus, he knew this ship was actually carrying a literal boatload of riches. So, it got him thinking. And in the middle of all this thinking, he met a man named Jacobs. Ah, 
There's the that's where the two come together then, eh? Exactly. Now Cornelis learned that Jacobs didn't like Captain Pelsart either, so the two decided it would be a great idea to just have a big old mutiny. <laughs> How did I know a mutiny was coming? There's always a mutiny on a boat. There is, yeah. I mean, I mean, I feel like every boat you're on, someone is planning a mutiny. They're just thinking about it in the back of their minds. See, if I have like four beers, I think of having a mutiny by myself on land. Yeah, wherever you are. In just in my house. And just looking at my, <laughs> I'm just looking at my dog like, fuck you. You're not the boss of me. <laughs> mutiny! <laughs> mutiny! <laughs> <laughs> Well, this mutiny that they were planning would be a very difficult task. Because the Batavia was, on its own, well-guarded. It had a ton of guards on it, because it was, like I said, carrying a lot of riches. Mm -hmm. This whole ship was carrying more than just passengers and workers. There were merchants on this ship, so there was riches, uh, gold, and also just civilian passengers. So they needed a lot of guards. Mm -hmm. But not only this, the ship was also traveling with a fleet of ships. So we had numerous ships around them. So if anything happened on that particular ship, the other ones would just come and help. I suppose this would have been more for pirates, wouldn't it? Rather than risk of mutiny. Pretty much. I mean... This was pirates time, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, like I said, it's not a pirate episode. But, I mean, this would be a perfect target for for um, a pirate. But the East India Company was very much... Uh, accustomed to pirates by this point. They were very good at at defending their ships, which is why, well, I mean, safety in numbers. Mm -hmm. However, all this aside, the two men were able to convince a few other men to be a part of the mutiny. Now, this effectively took care of the issue of the ship being well-guarded. And Jacobs also worked on the ship as a skipper, which means he could actually control the direction of the ship in certain times. Mm -hmm. And he was actually able to steer the ship off course, away from the other fleet, slowly but surely. Did did the captain not notice? <laughs> you, you think the captain had noticed? We will get to the captain in a moment. The captain is preoccupied. <laughs> okay. Now that this ship was away from the fleet, the two men set to arranging an incident that would trigger a mutiny. They decided that their mutinous group would harass a wealthy female passenger... And then their hope would be that Captain Pelsart would try to discipline the crew, which would then lead to a mutiny. Because I guess they would think, hey, you know, we should be able to harass these female passengers. What are you playing at? This is, what are we doing here if we're not allowed to harass these female passengers? God, you don't let me do anything. (laughs) God, Captain P, you're such a dick. God, what happened to you, man? You used to be cool. You used to be cool. You used to be cool, Captain P. (laughs) Guys, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still cool. Come on, you read the books too. You read the manuals. <laughs> I'm still fucking cool. Look at my saber. <laughs> Do you not think it's neat? It's fucking gold plated, Captain P. You're such a prick. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a prick, Captain P. <laughs> Captain P. Captain Pelsort, more like Captain Pel's ass. <laughs> <laughs> Dork. <laughs> Can you imagine actually if all of this, um, if all of these stories of mutinies and all that stuff were just dramatized throughout history and they were really just kind of like arguments in high school? (laughs) (laughs) You fucking nerd. (laughs) It's like, no, I'm not a nerd. You're a nerd prick. (laughs) Like they're just so like, like more reserved than even now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's one of those things where they're just like kind of just mumbling to each other. No one actually does anything. Yeah. Well, this plan actually failed. The assault on this female passenger. Actually, let, let's let's uh, let's discuss this a moment. Um, there were two, I believe, assault attempts, and I'm not a hundred percent sure. I mean, the book goes into. There's multiple sources that we went into. Obviously, Batavia's graveyard was one of them, but uh, it kind of goes in and out. But there were supposedly two attempts at a harassing at harassing a female passenger. Um, both did not have the desired effect that the two men would have hoped. Uh, (laughs) So essentially they failed mainly because the um, victim, the female passenger who we'll mention again in a moment, she could identify all the men that took part in the assault. So (laughs) there was no real success here, but the two men still hoped that the attempted assault would lead Captain Pelsart to trying to arrest the ones involved. Mm-hmm. But Greg, to your point earlier about where the hell was the captain and all this, this this actually never happened. 
In fact, Captain Pelsart stayed in his cabin the entire trip up to this point. I mean, he hadn't seen the ship veer off course. He hadn't seen anything. And one could only surmise that he was in his cabin just furiously masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> he just comes out like, really relaxed, like, oh, oh, flustered. Like. Like his arm, like his giant one arm is just much larger <laughs> than the other one. <laughs> all, all on top, like, what, 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 I wasn't masturbating. I'm helping row. <laughs> 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 he's, he's got the oar, though, and he's just doing a wanking thing instead of actually rowing. <laughs> You're not doing it right, Captain. My arm only works in this direction. <laughs> <laughs> it's just muscle memory. It's all I can do. <laughs> well, Jacobs and Cornelis had done their best to cause this mutiny. And like we said, even Jacobs had done his best to lead the ship off course. But not only did this not work, Jacobs' actions of sailing the ship off course ended up crashing the fucking ship. Not what you planned then, I am, am I imagine. I assume the exact opposite. Yeah. <laughs> they wanted to get away with this fucking ship and he just <laughs> crashed it. What did he crash into? Well, on the 4th of June, 1629, the Batavia struck a reef near Beacon Island, which was in the Abrolos Islands. Okay. This is right off Western Australia, basically. Now, the shipwreck itself killed 40 people on board out of over 300 people. So a significant portion of people on the ship were just taken out by the shipwreck, supposedly likely due to the fact that it was either a very uh, hard collision or that they just couldn't swim. Because like we said, there was civilians on the ship. There were children. There were elderly people. These, there were people on here that probably could not have survived to swim to the nearest island, which was quite a distance away. Imagine getting on one of these ships, like, back in those days and not being able to swim. Like, you would be on edge. Like, what? what's the point? It's like playing a horror game like when you know you're going to poop your pants a little bit and then you still decide not to wear underwear. See, look, I, I can swim. I'm quite a strong swimmer. But if I'm Did you not like, hear that joke? I thought that was funny. That <laughs> <laughs> was funny. I, just had a, I was just going off on a tangent. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. What were you saying? I was just saying, like, if I get on like a boat now, like I'm a decent swimmer. But if I'm on a boat, I'm looking at the water and I'm like, fuck, if this goes down, I am gone. Well, luckily, after this shipwreck, the others on the ship, including Captain Pelsart, Jacobs, and Cornelis, Cornelis, who we'll discuss in a moment, were able to swim to the island. All of the crew, the remaining crew, the remaining um, passengers, including Captain Pelsart and Jacobs, but like I said, uh, put a pin in Cornelis. Okay. Although, this island that they swam to was not the safety that they had actually hoped for. This island was going to be the place many of them would be buried in unmarked graves. All right, everybody, we're taking a quick break from the episode to announce our winner of the merch contest from our private Facebook group. All right. Who's got it then? Well, I think it's no surprise, obviously. We're doing this as a mid-roll ad, and yeah. <laughs> and like obviously they know what the topic of the episode is. But, you know, just to leave it in suspense, you know? Mm -hmm. Are we going to say who it is? Are who we? knows? I don't even who know knows? if we should. Let's get back to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We don't want to give out any merch now. Yeah, screw that, man. <laughs> How about you buy some fucking merch? <laughs> <laughs> I know some people have been asking about merch. Uh, you can go to shop.unfortunatehistory.com or merch.unfortunatehistory.com. It'll take you to all that. Mm -hmm. But that's not why we're here. The winner of our merch contest, who guessed the topic first, was... Greg, you want to do a, a, like a drum roll or something? was it melissa m melissa m hell yeah good job uh man i knew it was gonna be one of them <laughs> i literally would have never well if i wasn't on the podcast i never would have figured it out <laughs> really you wouldn't have i thought if i gave a really good hint it, it was a good hint but it's just I, I, i'm again i've said it before i'm i'm stupid so i would never have got it well you could have googled all of the hints that i put on there and it would have popped up with an answer Melissa, did you do that? Because <laughs> <laughs> if you did, you don't get the prize. No, you do. Melissa, just yep. send us, uh, message us or email us your address and we will send you a custom piece of merch that we have been 
holding on to we've been sending pictures back and forth of this and we actually really i think this is going to be a really cool one personally mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so yes and send us your your address uh if you did not win the merch this time do not worry there will be more chances to win custom merch we're going to be giving away quite a few stuff just a lot of different things stuff that you can't buy on our shop mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh definitely if you want to take part in these merch contests go to the unfortunate history private facebook group just go onto facebook and search unfortunate history podcast and you'll find mm-hmm. us with that done back to batavia's graveyard batavia's graveyard Now, the survivors of the shipwreck soon discovered that they were in a terrible situation. This island that they were on had no fresh water whatsoever, and no food besides birds and sea lions, which I don't know if I'd even want to fight a bird, much less a sea lion. <laughs> I, can, I can picture a sea lion being pr- a pretty sustainable food source, to be honest. It's all fat, but... Yeah, but don't forget, this is in Australia. Those things probably have... <laughs> spikes and and like swords and shit like they <laughs> everything's poisonous in australia that's true yeah <laughs> now pelisart decided that they needed to do something quickly they needed to find some kind of food or water source so he decided to take a group of men including jacobs actually because remember he was part of the crew <laughs> he just doesn't know that he doesn't like him he's like that jacobs is a good guy <laughs> honestly he has no clue which is very interesting and this would make a fantastic film i don't know if it's made it's been made into a film yet or not Hmm. But this group of men went on to look on another island for water and food. Now, uh, this was kind of a a small chain grouping of islands, basically. Um, Mm -hmm. The the largest one or the one that they were on at the moment is where everybody was, a couple hundred people. So very significantly a large island. But like we said, no water whatsoever. Yeah, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. But this search for food and water was unsuccessful. So Pelsart saw that there was no help coming. He knew there was no help coming. Where they were trapped... Like I said, off of Western Australia, Australia had not been settled at this point. There was no Hugh Jackman with his shirt off waving you over to the island. Come on over here, mate. Like it was no like, like <laughs> got a shrimp on the barber. <laughs> there was none of that going on here. It was literally wilderness death and those crazy ass snakes that we mentioned in the Great Emu War. Like <laughs> nothing, nothing there. But this small island, if you look on a map, the closest place that they could really go to get help was, uh, in terms of sailing, 30 days north. Fuck. Indonesia. They had to go from Western Australia to Indonesia to get the closest bit of help. And the, the people on the island didn't have water. And they had no water. Did they have anything to drink? Well, we're going to get to that in a moment. <laughs> they all drink each other's piss. And also, I just had a vision when you said those crazy ass snakes. I just had a vision of like a snake with like, arms and like <laughs> a sleeveless denim vest with the Hugh Jackman's arms <laughs> don't you come over here cunt I'm gonna bite ya gonna bite ya <laughs> come over here dare you <laughs> yeah nah cunt yeah nah nah yeah, yeah. don't come over here slag I've got why do I always go back to you slag that's not even Australian it can be it can be <laughs> well like I said Pelsart saw that no help would be coming because like we said Indonesia was the closest place they could get help that they knew of at the very least, but that was the closest place they could go. Okay. And if he didn't do something fast, everyone was going to die, obviously. So Pelsart took the same group of men, including Jacobs again, (laughs) in a very small longboat to make the 33 day journey to the main city of Batavia, which is modern day Jakarta in Indonesia. And this boat was only a 30 foot longboat. So, and is, isn't that just like essentially a big rowing boat? Essentially, yes, a big rowing boat that they would have to take from the literally almost mid middle of Western Australia all the way up to Jakarta. I, I presume it had a sail, right? Because this would have just been a lifeboat, really, on the ship, wouldn't it? I have no idea. <laughs> I assume it had a sail, but it would have been a lifeboat. And nine times out of ten, that wouldn't really have been possible so i assume actually that it would actually be no sail and just rowing 
Yeah, that's what I, that's what I thought. But thank God Pelsar used that whole part of the journey jerking it, and now he can fucking get them there in 15 days instead of 33. Because <laughs> he's, he's rowing so much harder than everyone else to <laughs> gradually going sideways, like in a circle. <laughs> They're just going in a circle the whole time. We've been rowing for 55 days. Three people have died. How is this happening? It's I'm not even tired yet. <laughs> <laughs> we keep passing the same island with all our friends on. How does this keep happening? <laughs> you passed Indonesia. <laughs> <laughs> they end up back in Holland. <laughs> oh, well, solve that problem. Oh, well, we'll guys. yeah, forget them. <laughs> Me and my new best friend, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we kind of described, this journey was intensely difficult. And I mean, obviously, it's like something like sliding through fields of broken glass on your bum. You know what I mean? It's not easy at all. <laughs> but after they left, however, things back on the Aberlos Islands we're not looking great. Mm, I can imagine. Now, luckily, a lot of food, water, and wine had actually washed up on shore. This is because they had provisions and were carrying a lot of merchant goods on the ship. So the shipwreck had actually pushed a lot of this stuff to the shore. So luckily, they had a finite supply of food, water, and wine. Wine being the utmost important, obviously. I was just, I was just vision when you said that. I vision like you know you say like spring break, y'all, and it's just like, <laughs> uns, 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 and beads and tits, and they're just getting pissed on sand. <laughs> Pelsart comes back and he's like, yeah, this is what I was getting ready for. <laughs> just takes a pair of shades off like all right (laughs) all right partner so because of these provisions obviously they had something to eat and drink but with a couple hundred people all of this would be gone within weeks if not days yeah and i wonder how good at rationing these people were well actually let's get to that in a moment so from the time it took the shipwreck to happen and the time it took for Pelsart to leave and for the provisions to come up on, uh, come up ashore. This was a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, according to uh, Mike Dash's book, this is around when Cornelis made his way to shore. Or at least washed up on shore. Actually, the way he describes it is washing up <clears throat> on shore. See, according to Mike Dash's book, Cornelis had actually been out at sea on the shipwreck, on the wreckage, for days. Pretty much the entire time before Pelsart left for the mainland and all the provision uh, washed up on shore. I'm not sure why, but that's how it's described in the book. When you say washed up, I just picture him like washing up, you know, like face down in the water, just like onto sand. That's literally what happened. <laughs> what I assume might have happened. Maybe he stayed near the wreckage to get his get gold or get some kind of riches. Um, since everybody had left, maybe he spent his time trying to do that and then just exhausted and literally dying of hunger. He just <clears throat> gave up and then yeah. washed up on shore. Trying to, he tried to swim back and then ended up washing up on shore. Hmm. Yeah. But see, right when he washed up on shore, uh, obviously that's conjecture. I'm not a hundred percent sure why, hmm. but once he washed up on shore, the other survivors grabbed him and they treated his wounds and they fed him and then they allowed him to rest. Hmm. Now, it was soon, very soon afterwards, that he woke up and was made into a boss-like figure on this small island. So he just washed up and he's now king. Yeah, pretty much. Was there, was there not a single like alpha male type on the island left? There was plenty. But the reason that Cornelis was chosen is down to pretty much two main reasons. One, Cornelis was an East India Company merchant, so he actually had some kind of authority. He wasn't like a part of the crew. He was a part of the overarching company. So he had some kind of authority there, especially for the people. I mean, Pelsart had already left and presumably a lot of his crew members had already left. Hmm. No, I guess so. Yeah. Now, two, he was also, like we said, very well educated. Oh, okay. Yeah, I suppose that makes sense. Uh, more so educated than anybody else. I mean, honestly, uh, he's he's even considered the first medical professional of Australia. He was the first one to ever been in Australia. I bet you he was an actually guy. You know, has to start every everything he says with. Uh, actually, I'm an apothecary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not actually a doctor. I'm an apothecary. I'm um, an apothecary. Actually. We actually do longer schooling than doctors. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually have a uh, actually a higher salary. God, Jesus, like a like a modern day vet. Sorry <laughs> if we have any vets listening, but I know you guys think you're better than everybody else. Their organs are much smaller than everyone else's. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm, I'm covered in sand. Actually, it's grit. <laughs> you know what? You're smart. <laughs> you should lead us. 
<laughs> You're smart. Well, further to him being very well educated, Cornelis was also a very, very talented con man. He was a very good, shrewd businessman. And this is one of the reasons he was made a, a merchant. He, he knew how to work people and how to control people in a way that obviously didn't make it seem like they were, like a cult leader, essentially. Mm, I guess so, yeah. So he's just he's, he's got the gift of the gab. He's a charmer. Yeah. He was the type of person that could spin a tail and fool almost anyone. Hmm. Be sure to keep that in mind, really, because if you're, you know, comparing him to a cult leader, just wait a minute. Uh, so, <laughs> so Cornelis enjoyed this power that he had on this island quite a lot, um, but he didn't really like the work involved. I mean, everybody needed him for everything. You know, how much food can we have? How much water can we drink? Is this plant safe to eat? Blah, 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 blah. You know, he, said, he didn't really enjoy that after a while. But like you said, Greg, you were asking whether or not they rationed. Obviously, this is around when they started rationing. Cornelis was good at this. He was helping them out with that, but he was getting sick and tired of this working. He's like, fuck me. I'm, you know, shipwrecked here too, guys. Come on. And I didn't get to masturbate the whole time we were on the way here. <laughs> I was planning a goddamn mutiny. I'd yeah. work the- I've been busy, man. Now, not only this, not only did he not enjoy the work, but he knew that Captain Pelsart had left the island with Jacobs to go for help. Mm-hmm. This made Cornelis nervous. Why? What if Pelsart returned and accused him of mutiny because Jacobs had blabbed to him? This nervousness started Pelsart thinking and developing a plan. Mm-hmm. He decided that he was going to hijack the rescue ship when they came back and use it to escape. Dude shoots for the moon. You got to give him that. But by himself. To succeed in this plan, Cornelis would have to get rid of anyone that posed a threat to him. Okay. And he would obviously have to have some people on his side. So this is where his people skills come in handy, I guess. Somewhat. And his organizational skills, because he organized all of the food and weapons to be under his control, slowly but surely gaining pretty much power of the entire island. Weapons? What, a pointy stick? No, they had weapons from the ship. I mean, all of the, oh, all, they had guards sword, there and they had yeah. and that kind of stuff. So they had, they had swords and likely, um, likely guns in that. So they had stuff there. Um, but then he sent a group of the more capable soldiers to an island in search of water. If they found water, they were told to light a signal fire, and Cornelis promised that he would send people to find them. But in fact, his intention was to just leave them there to completely starve to death. How, how, how did they get there? I have no idea. I think they swam or they dropped them off in some way. It doesn't go into detail on that. <laughs> if they swam, like, well, we'll leave them there. They're just like... You do know we can just swim back, right? <laughs> well, the thing is that he just wanted them off the island. So I think, actually, they would have either walked or swam uh, or a combination of both because it was very far away. I mean, they had to light a signal fire. So you're talking probably miles and miles away. And at this time, that was a very significant journey. And he would just not send people to go and get them. And what, what would they think if they're sitting there around their fire and no one comes? They'd think that the other people just died. So, you know, whatever. We'll just take care of ourselves. If they've got the water. <laughs> if they've got the water, they'll stay there. Either way, his intention was for them to either starve or if they came back, maybe try to kill them, something along those lines. What were these people who were like, again, not most of a threat to him, so most of the men and somewhat intelligent people, I guess? Uh, no, it was mainly the more capable soldiers. I mean, in conjunction, they were also intelligent, but it was more the, the, men, the manly soldiers that pose the most significant physical threat and actually these capable soldiers introduce another main character to our story we didn't mention mr webby hayes webby hayes another good name another strong name fantastic name but we'll get back to him soon okay now with these larger men disposed of for the time being at least cornelis's plan to hijack the ship was a bit more likely because he actually used the same men that he had tried to convince to do the mutiny on the ship He basically banded these guys together to make another force. And generally, these men were now the most uh, significantly physically threatening people on the island. Because numbers. Numbers and also uh, literal physicality. And Cornelis had control of all the weapons. Ah. Now, with the plan more likely to succeed, that was great and all. But Cornelis also had to think about the provisions they currently had. There wasn't very much to go around. 
He had to be able to survive until the rescue ship got there so that he could survive and get off. So to solve this issue, he started to kill any person on the island that was either a threat to him, old, weak, or a child. So fucking everyone. (laughs) Pretty much everyone that wasn't part of his group, in a way. See, supposedly he actually only killed one person himself, with the other killings being done by the men under his command, like I said, the same ones that tried to do the mutiny prior to the crash. Okay. Cornelis's overarching plan was to lower the population of the island, which was currently, like we said, in the hundreds, down to just 45. He was going to whittle down and kill hundreds of people on this tiny island. People are going to notice that. Yeah, can you imagine just thinking, waking up and you're just like, why Why is there so many less people today? It's like just constantly just like literally just people disappearing while you're talking to them just out of nowhere. I know you think, well, I'll put the dead body in the ocean. That shit washes back up. Yeah, it does. There's no way. <laughs> just They're probably feeding them to those crazy Australian sea lions. <laughs> now, Cornelis figured... I guess with his intellect that this number of just 45 people would be low enough to make the supplies last long enough until Captain Pelsart returned. Now, at first, Cornelis was persuading his men to kill the victims by claiming they had committed crimes, like they had stolen food or stolen water, something similar to that. But it wasn't long until the mutineers just started killing people just for the pleasure and the fact that they were pretty much bored. Now, to make things even more disturbing... Greg, you and the listeners obviously will remember the female passenger from earlier, from the mutiny. Oh, yeah, I do. Well, Cornelis ordered all of the women to be kept in so-called rape tents. Oh, I knew that was coming. I knew something like that was coming. But Cornelis made sure that the victim of the previous assault was his personally. We're not going to go into details on that, obviously. But I knew it would get rapey. I knew it was coming. Yeah, yeah. Now, the previous group of soldiers led by Webby Hayes that were sent to the nearby island were actually able to find food and water for survival. They were, fi- <laughs> they were able to find everything. It's like they could have just all moved to this one side of the island and been fine, um, but they didn't. Um, so while they were completely unaware of the massacre that was taking place on the main island, they lit their smoke signal. The remaining people on the island saw this, and they decided to take their chances making their way to these soldiers, because it was better than getting murdered on this island by Cornelis and all his men. Murdered and fucking raped is one or the other, both shitty options. Yeah, go to them. Absolutely. Now, a lot of these people actually survived the journey to the soldiers, and they decided to tell them of the killings that were happening back on the main island. So this is where good old Webby Hayes comes in. Come on, a bit of justice. Come on, is this, this going to be like, you know, one of those like, revenge films? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. But not from Webby Hayes, but Webby Hayes plays a good part. But no, yeah, okay. just just wait. It's very good. And this next bit is like an action film. Like um, there's a guy with a smoke signal sending, I will find you <laughs> and I will kill you in smoke signal form. A Native American standing by and, tra- and just translating it. <laughs> I will... <laughs> <laughs> find <laughs> he's like oh damn thanks Tonto <laughs> you can go now <laughs> now as the leader of the soldier group Hayes decided that they needed to prepare for an upcoming attack in case Cornelis's men decided to attack them and he was actually very right about this because so many people had escaped the killing to surrounding islands they actually ended up outnumbering Cornelis and his men So the only people left on the island were Cornelis and his men, and the ones surrounding him that he didn't really know where they were outnumbered him. So this made him nervous, because they could easily come back in a large group and just attack them. And they had actual soldiers as well. And they had actual soldiers now. Trained people. So Cornelis decided that it was time to hunt them all down and take the fight to them. Now, to prepare for the upcoming attack, Webby Hayes and his men built a stone fortress that would protect them from the mutineers during the attack. This was actually the very first structure built in Australia, I believe, um, huh. in total, uh, which is very interesting. Very small, actually, when you see it um, on the documentaries. When the insurgents made their way to Hayes' island, they were met with a well-trained and protected force, and the mutineers were easily beaten back. <laughs> Good. But literally at this same moment, who should appear around the corner of the island if not for Captain Pelsart? 
Hey guys, <laughs> what's going on? When Pelsart had reached the main city of Batavia, which he did successfully, obviously, Pelsart was given command of the ship Sardin. And also, at the same time, Jacobs was arrested for negligence. <laughs> <laughs> what a prick. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, take that. What, what did he do? What did he neglect? Well, he was meant to steer the ship correctly, but he ended up wrecking the oh, whole fucking thing. okay, yeah. <laughs> so obviously they're going to arrest him and, and investigate the situation before they release him. Yeah. Now, Captain Pelsart had made his way back to the island. At this point, he had been gone for three months. Fuck. And during this time, remember, they only had food and water for weeks. I suppose they had, they had the soldiers' island where they found their own supply. Yeah, but they, they all weren't there for a long time. Oh. They were mainly on the main island for the longest time. And during this time, Cornelis and his men had killed 125 men, women, and children. That's a big chunk. Huge chunk. How many mutineers were there? How many people did he have? I'm not 100% sure, but Captain Pelsar has a, a journal that you can look up and read his entire journal of the whole thing. Yeah. It's crazy. He talks about, like, literally the shipwreck and everything. His whole crazy time masturbating. He's like, oh, this is the first time I tried for 70 hours. It was nuts. Um, if, you, if you sit on your arm and it goes numb, it feels like someone else is doing it. He was like the original guy to do that. <laughs> Good old Captain Pelsar. It's like his own version of the Karma Sutra, but by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> How to get yourself off 150 ways. The Solo Sutra. <laughs> <laughs> well, as Captain Pelsart's ship came into view during the battle, a great race broke out between Hayes and Cornelis on who would actually get to the ship first to tell Captain Pelsart of the mutiny. They both raced to the ship. Tidal tiling. Sir, sir, like we were at school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, well, whoever got there first would be able to blame the other one for the mutiny. Yeah. Okay. Now, Hayes, Webby Hayes, was actually able to reach the Sardom first, and he warned Pelsart of the mutiny and the plan to hijack the rescue ship. After this, a small battle happened between Pelsart, Hayes, and the mutineers, but it ended very quickly with Cornelis and his men being captured. There's actually a part in Mike Dash's book, like we said, The Batavia's Graveyard, that talks about a time when Cornelis... After he was captured, a group of mutineers attempted to board the ship. <laughs> and they come up to the ship and Captain Pelsart says, why are you armed? And they say, we'll tell you when we get on the ship. <laughs> <laughs> it goes back to like little high school pettiness again. Like, yeah. We'll tell you when, we, when you let us in. Bro. They said, no, come on, come on, let us up. Let us on the ship. And he says, no, fuck you. Uh, we'll be cool. We'll be cool, bro. <laughs> He's like, nope, fuck you. Throw your weapons in the sea. And finally, they pretty much, they just give up. They throw their weapons in the sea. They climb aboard the ship and they're immediately arrested and thrown together with Cornelis's other men. So a lot of these people weren't killed on the spot? Not yet. See, okay. Now, Mike Dash also describes Cornelis in his book as a literal psychopath. There are times on this island when Cornelis would excuse his actions by saying that he had dreams of making his own personal kingdom and all the decisions and actions he, were make, he was making were justified because God himself had inspired them. Cult-like, like you said. Exactly. Very cult-like. He, he got this power over these people and instantly turned it into something awful and terrible and just f knew that he was controlling their lives and decided to end most of them, which is terrible. <laughs> I mean, this defense that he had of being a psychopath, whether or not it was a defense by Cornelis himself, it could have been him playing insane. Who knows? But in this time, I don't even know if that was an option. Yeah, uh, I don't think it was. No, but either way, this defense did not save him from punishment. Good. And I, and to your point, Greg, I mean, immediate punishment. Or what happened to him? Well, a, a few of the worst mutineers were immediately hanged. So they built some gallows there on the Island and just hanged them. Good shit. Two of the mutineers that were not actually as bad as the other ones. I don't know how they decided that, but what's less bad. They didn't like rape quite as much and they only killed like a little bit. I don't think they actually killed anyone. Maybe they just went along with the group possibly. How, how would they prove it? <laughs> so uh, well, just really convincing. No, just um, people on the island oh, giving, yeah. giving their okay, testimony yeah. to him saying, you know, Captain P, no, not, not him. 
Now, these two mutineers were actually marooned on the island, completely left to die, when Pelsart and the rest of the passengers and surviving passengers left the island. Mm. Now, Cornelis himself was a bit different. Okay. Cornelis himself had both of his hands chiseled off. Chiseled off? They were completely chiseled off from his wrists. How'd you chisel a hand off? Like what? They literally put a chisel there and hammer it through his wrists until the hand comes off. Fuck, that's not... That takes that takes a few chisels. Chisels isn't that thick, unless it's a really thick chisel. No, I'm sure it would be in a thick chisel. Uh. <laughs> now, they were completely separated from the wrists just before he was hanged until dead. Which I think is, you know what, that's a pretty good punishment, personally. Yeah, yeah, I would have thought, no, I would have thought it would have been better just to, you know, chisel off his hands and maybe his feet and then leave him on the island with two hungry other mutineers who were going to look at him and go, that's a meal. Well, they left his body, so I'm sure if they felt the need, they just kind of went at it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But before his death, this is very interesting, Cornelis showed absolutely zero remorse for what he had done. Completely lacked any of it. He didn't He didn't think he was in the wrong whatsoever. And actually, this is very interesting. Captain Pelsart wrote in that journal I mentioned earlier about Cornelis's death specifically. He's, he, he wrote this, uh, I'll quote this, quote, he could not reconcile himself to dying or to penitence, neither to pray to God nor to show any face of repentance over his sins. And so he died stubborn. <laughs> I suppose... <laughs> Go down swinging, or so. I suppose so, but he 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 was likely to have died from those from his hands being chiseled that, off. That's kind of like a pun as well, because he was hung, wasn't he? He went down swinging. He was hanged, Greg. I promise you, it is grammatically correct to say hanged. Swinging. <laughs> went down swinging. He was swinging. You get it? You get it? Thank you, Greg. That's fantastic. Uh, uh, he went down swinging. Yeah. Comedy golf, man. I'm here all week. That's my bits to the podcast. That's my bit to every podcast for the next three months. Let me go ahead and mark that off your list there, Greg. That's good. <laughs> Made one pun. There you go. <laughs> now, the remaining mutineers in Cornelis's group were taken back to Batavia, as we said, Jakarta. Now, five of them were hanged, with the other few being punished by flogging. Um, What's flogging? What's flogging again? Being beaten. Oh, just been... Severely, to, though. We're talking... To death se- or just like... No, they were beaten really severely and they probably put in prison for the rest of their lives. Mm. I mean, they were... I mean, flock... Like, they were... It's no joke back then. They, was, they were very, very harshly beaten. However, Cornelis didn't actually meet the worst fate. The worst fate and the worst punishment was actually saved for his second-in-command, a man named Peters. Spelled very weird. It's spelled... P-E-I-T, something like that. P-I-E, so Peters. <laughs> Peter. Peter. Peter with a Z in there as well. <laughs> Peters. Now, Peters was punished on the breaking wheel. Oh, I think I've heard of this. Now, I'm going to actually give an excerpt from a paper that I found on this, which was very interesting. It describes okay. what Peters would have gone through through the entire event. This is a very long paragraph that describes everything in detail. This uh, it's quite brutal. So it's graphic. If you're listening, not in headphones right now, you should probably put your headphones in. If you're uh, a child, you keep listening. This is great. No, uh, if you're a child, you should probably shut this off. Uh, you know, what? Don't, just don't put headphones in. Let the office hear. Yeah, exactly. Let just, just be warned. If you've got headphones in, unplug them now. Now, this is the quote from the paper that I found. Breaking on the wheel, as it was generally known, was the most painful and barbaric method of execution practiced in the Dutch Republic and was, in effect, a form of crucifixion. In Peter's case, the condemned man, stripped to a pair of linen drawers, would have been led out to a scaffold on which had been assembled a huge cartwheel, still fitted with an axle, a bench, some ropes, and a thick iron bar. He would have been lashed, spread-eagled to the bench and positioned so that the executioner had easy access to his limbs. Mm. Taking up the heavy iron bar and with great concentration, this man would have proceeded to smash the bones in the prisoner's arms and legs, starting with the fingers and the toes and working slowly inward. Mm. The aim was to completely pulverize each limb 
so that when Peters was lifted from the bench onto the wheel, his upper arms were broken in so many places that they could be twisted and bent to follow the circumference of the wheel, while his legs were wrenched backward from the thighs, forcing right around the outer rim and tied off with the heels touching the back of the head. The latter operation was difficult to complete without allowing the broken femurs to protrude, but a skilled executioner took pride not only in ensuring that his victim remained fully conscious during the operation, but also in crushing his bones so thoroughly that the skin remained intact. As a further refinement, it was common for the condemned man's ribs to be stoved in with several further blows so that every breath became an agony. Fuck. That... Jesus, that must suck. That would be pretty rough, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather... He got... What's his face? Got off lightly having his hands cut off. Yeah, well, we don't know how slow they chiseled him off. <laughs> it's, it's, I'd rather have my hands slowly chiseled off and then hung than this. Hanged, Greg. Come on, man. Hanged, hung. It's not hung. I promise it's hung you. Hung not a word. Hung is a word, yes. But when you're talking about the past tense of hanging someone from the neck, it's hanged. Okay. Well, I've learned something. If you put something up on the on a hook, you've hung it up on the wall. But if you've dropped someone to their death with a rope, you've hanged them. <laughs> Come at me, listeners. I fucking dare you. <laughs> I fucking dare you. I'll believe you. I'll take your word for it. I'll um, give you the I'll give you the grammarly link to this shit. <laughs> fine. I'd rather be hanged. Well, we didn't also mention Jacobs. See, Jacobs was also tortured later. Uh, but he never actually admitted his involvement in the mutiny, and he likely just died in prison. Mm, again, let off light compared to what this guy got, considering he's only just popped up in our podcast. Jesus Christ, this guy got it rough. He did, yeah. There was nothing really, no specific details I wanted to mention about Peters. They all just killed and, you know what I mean, killed, raped, and and brutalized the entire island. There's nothing more to say other than that. What the most interesting bit about his life was how he was killed. Pretty much, yeah. Mm. Now, the actual wreckage of the Batavia was discovered in actually only 1963. That's not long ago. <laughs> it's not that long ago at all. And ever since then, actually, many archaeological discoveries have been made and continue to be made on that island. It has left a lasting impression on the Australian people, as it was quite likely one of the first most violent acts committed there maybe even one of the very first acts committed there in general. And that, I suppose we could say, is pretty unfortunate. It is pretty unfortunate. It's, it's truly unfortunate. And that is the story of Batavia's Graveyard. Batavia's Graveyard. You could probably name this the Batavia, the Batavia Shipwreck, whatever. We're going to go with Batavia's Graveyard. Yeah, I get it now. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Greg, I hope you enjoyed the, the story as well. I did, man, I did. And the, like I say, I was shocked by that last torture bit from Peters because that was brutal. That's very brutal, yeah, very brutal stuff. I think, you know, it's funny, actually. I saw somewhere written somewhere that the um, breaking wheel was outlawed in the 1500s or something, and Peters was meant to have gone on the wheel in the 1600s. So I actually don't even know um, if that's legitimate or not. So there's a bit of a bit of issue with the facts there, but I'm I'm going to go ahead and say that Peters was put on that breaking wheel, and he was pul- his limbs were pulverized and he was stretched around. God, we've got it easy today, ain't we? Like, do you know they don't even tell kids off in school anymore? As a, well, like we said, you know, maybe this was all dramatized. Maybe he actually had like, instead of the breaking wheel being like him being beaten and, and crushed, maybe it was just him getting an intentional splinter <laughs> from a cartwheel, you know, like they're like, they're like, all right, Peters, run your hand across this wheel. And he's like, the breaking, get out of wheel here. Is, the breaking wheel is just a drinking game. <laughs> Take your shot, Peter. Take your shot. You lose. Please, no. I can't, please. can't drink anymore. <laughs> it's Goldschlager. No, I hate this. <laughs> just the smell. Just the smell. No. <laughs> well, yeah, guys, that was a fun, fun story. Thank you so much, Fred, listener Fred, for suggesting that one. That was a really good one. If you guys want to know more about it, you can honestly, you can search the internet. There's a lot of cool websites that I found on this. Um, don't do Wikipedia. Do some other stuff. Or mm-hmm. um, check out Mike Dash's book, Batavia's Graveyard, which you can find a uh, link uh, in the description of this episode. Okay. 
Well, we want to apologize once again for missing the deadline last week, but we hope we've made up for it this week. So if you enjoyed mm-hmm. this episode, please, please share the show with your family and friends. It would really help us out. You guys have been doing amazing. We've been receiving emails from listeners that have been fantastic and very, mm-hmm. very heartfelt. It's been really nice to hear. So thank you guys so much. Please do that if you haven't. Uh, leave us a review or whatever on Apple Podcasts. It's not really a big deal, I guess, anymore, but it does help us feel better knowing that you guys are enjoying it. Does. It. it does. It does. Really starting to feel the love lately. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to feel appreciated to do this stuff because, again, we don't get paid. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not yet. Not yet. So it, look, an, ego, an ego boost is a good thing for me. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, thank you guys so much uh, again. Um, stay tuned for our next episodes. We've got a couple of really cool ones coming up in the next um, next couple of weeks. Well, if you want to follow the podcast, you can Google Unfortunate History or search Unfortunate History on whatever social media channels. If you want to follow me, just search Cody Pennington or Google Cody Pennington. Uh, Greg? If you want to follow me, just uh, go on Instagram. It's Greg underscore skin 93. And um, yeah, look at my shit. There you go. Look at his shit. <laughs> Not my literal shit, guys. Just not to get it mixed up. Just look at me taking pictures of shit and my face. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with that said, unfortunately, we got to go. So stay unfortunate, everybody. Stay unfortunate, guys. Tear up. Bye.